When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 2019, the first Strange Realities Conference took place in Nashville, Tennessee. The pandemic and turmoil the following year could not stop 2020's conference from thriving in cyberspace as a live streaming event. Now, for 2021, the third annual Strange Realities Conference will combine these worlds into a paranormal hybrid event, live in person in Nashville and streaming online. Join us in exploring just how truly strange our reality can be with an interdimensional lineup of speakers presenting unique and intellectual perspectives on magic, mysteries, and the paranormal. Featuring Alan Greenfield, Dr. J. Michael Bennett, a.k.a. Dr. Future, Tim Banal, Soraya Ascath, Dr. Stephen Finley, Aaron Gullius, Amy Pachula, Brent Rains, Chris Ernst, Heather Mosher, Michael Hughes, Jose Herrera, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Nathan Isaac, P.D. Newman, Steven Snyder, a.k.a. Recluse, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Steve Stockton, and Ren Collier. Tickets available at strangerealitiesconference.com. It's going to be amazing. Yes, we will soon learn about Charles Hayes, Adam. It is a... Uh... Some crazy shit that they would only dig up in Somerset, Kentucky. <laughs> uh, holding out on me, Sirfiel. I haven't heard about this before. Just wait, uh, man. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, this this will be good. It'll be good. It'll be like you'll get my just like I won't know anything about it. You'll just have my, Sir my, Fiel, my total reaction. You haven't mentioned anything to him about this. Mm-mm. Well, very briefly. Uh, All right. right. All right, welcome guys. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. It's your host Adam. Serfiel is here. He's uh, doing this remote because it's a little later than usual. But uh, we are stoked and getting ready for the Strange Realities Conference coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, and online. So you have that option, October fifteenth through the seventeenth. And we are roughly going down the speakers list lately. And tonight we've got uh, one of the speakers that will be there, hopefully, uh, at the Strange Realities Conference. He's going to be speaking regardless. Nathan Isaac from the Penny Royal Podcast is with us. Nathan, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on, man. I'm super excited to talk to you guys. And also, man, very, very honored to, to get invited down to to speak at the uh, strange realities conference man yeah, I'm really we're, excited. yeah yeah we're 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 honored to have you i mean we uh we really enjoy always speaking to you we had you it's been i think roughly a year now since we had you and uh Kyle and Darian on uh, and 
so there's been a lot, I guess, that has gone on since then. And um, I think back in October, you guys came out with the uh, Penny Royal podcast, which you know we highly recommend if you're into just weird stuff about place and and uh, local weirdness. Uh, definitely give it a listen. But uh, so how has everything been going? And what's been going on? Uh, how's been the uh, response to the show? Uh, the, the response has been awesome. And it's, um, we're still like this far on, you know, almost a year after the release, we're still getting like heavy numbers every week. And so like more and more people are discovering the thing. Um, you know, and I've been doing a lot of interviews with people and people have been interviewing me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been great. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's grown. The audience has really grown with it. Um, and we've been doing the um, uh, Liminal Lodge, which is our, our Patreon, but our private Facebook group um, that has, uh, you know, so, uh, quite a few members in it that are helping us sort of, you know, the shit that we found, it was so much mm-hmm. content and so many documents, so many newspapers, art, articles and clippings that, um, you know, it's just, it's way more than like three dudes, you know, and really, and really most of the time you know, it's me sorting through this stuff. Um, but you know, Darian's been, uh, trying to data mine a lot of it to make it quicker, but anyway, it's, it's been great having a, a group of people that are, that are helping us kind of get, go through this stuff and, and, uh, find more content in the newspaper articles. And, and, you know, I did a FOIA request on, uh, Alexander Guterma, you know, which is one of the characters, one of the figures that we, um, uncovered here in town and, uh, I didn't actually think I'd get anything out of a FOIA request for, for Alexander Katerma. And then lo and behold, they responded with 1,662 pages, right? And, you know, I'm the only person that ever filed a FOIA request on Alexander Katerma. And it was weird, you know, and there was just tons and tons of information in there about who he was and who they thought he was. Um, and so I filed one with the CIA. I've also, I filed, man, I joined muckrock.com and I've been filing FOIA requests like a fucking fiend. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, why not? You know, why not file? Um, uh, you know, I filed some Casalero FOIA requests too, which made me nervous to mm-hmm. get any of that stuff out into the air, um, which definitely I want to talk about a little bit more, but. Uh, but yeah, man, the response has been fantastic. Um, lots and lots of, uh, really, really interesting people and some really fucking crazy people have contacted me. Um, I've had a lot of, uh, weird messages. I've had a lot of people send me leads. A lot of people send me things, um, that have led us down new rabbit holes and definitely helped us to find things that we would have never found. And some of them are really strange. Um, but I've also just gotten just some batshit crazy um, messages from people about, I don't know, really crazy stuff. You know, the world, <laughs> you know, a lot of apocalyptic stuff. Um, again, though, it's, you know, that's what, you know, Greg Newkirk, when, when he had come down, came down here um, to hang out one weekend, we were talking about it. He was like, man, when you release this, you're going to get tons and tons of fucking messages from people. And, there, there's going to be some, some, some significant stuff in there, you know, in all the fucking chaos. So, um, and, and he was right. 
it definitely, definitely was that way. So it's been weird. Two weeks after the show came out, all these fucking signs appeared. Yeah, I was about to ask you about that. Yeah. 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 So that that was strange, you know. In, in the, uh, I think there were seven total signs that appeared, and they were uh, written by at least three different people, uh, based on what witnesses said. Uh, but they they mentioned, you know, Sammy Catron, Lester Burns Jr., you know, all these people that are in the podcast. And, and they're saying, you know, don't forget, you know, don't forget Sam and Ketrin, you know, somebody call Lester Burns. This town is a cult. Uh, the cyber terrorists have taken over, uh, call the FBI. Um, and then somebody spray painted all that stuff on top of a building of a house right downtown when you drive into town. So they, they ended up tearing, tearing that building down. And then man, fucking three weeks ago, it looks like the same writing they wrote uh mk ultra this town is a cult uh you know the mayor everybody's involved um uh nazis right and this one of the town historians sends that to me and says hey this appeared on this building downtown last night Mm -hmm. they're tearing the building down today he said that building was where this attorney named Stanziano was assassinated a few years ago. He like walks out of his, he, he, this guy like that lived there walks out and fucking shoots him dead in the street, right beside Jarfly, like 50 feet from where the studio is. Right. And about two months ago, I ran into this guy in the bar at Jarfly who was asking me about the podcast and he said, I lived below the guy that shot Stanziano. And he said the day before he shot him, he told him that um, it was all part of MK ultra and that Stanziano was part of, of some secret group here in town, this whole narrative of, of the cult, you know, and that he had found out who were members and that he was trying to stop them. And then the kid said, you know, he thought he was crazy. And then the next day he went and shot the guy and killed him. So it was weird that that on that house where that guy lived, they, somebody spray painted MK ultra, you know, uh, Nazis, this town is a cult. And then they, and they tore it down. It's right beside the sheriff's department too, which is, you know, weird. A few years back, also, they found <laughs> there was a dead body beside the sheriff's department in the dumpster for three weeks. And finally, somebody that was walking by said, God, the smell of this is so terrible. And when they opened it up, Jesus. it was a dead body that they found at the fucking sheriff's department. And it's next door to this house where this guy was that assassinated Stancy. Man, I'm in the shit down here. In- what is going on in Somerset, Kentucky, dude? Like, I mean... I, does stuff like this happen in in every small town? But I mean, it just seems that there is just some there is just some weird nexus shit going on there. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, and anybody can if anyone questions this, you can fucking look it up in the newspapers. You know, that's what's crazy. It's like right there it is. You're like, what the fuck is this? You know. So I don't know, man. I would like to know if other towns are. As, I don't think other towns are as violent as this. You know, like mm-hmm. or weird. Um, I don't know, but yeah, so the signs thing, that was weird. Um, 
Uh, What did some of the signs, they said stuff like this town is a cult and that type of stuff. That's what you said. Yeah. Town is a cult. They mentioned cyber terrorists, which I thought was weird. Do you think this was a result of uh, Penny Royal or do you think that this was a weird coincidence? I do not believe that the people from the, from the eyewitness accounts of who put the signs up. I absolutely don't believe they listened to the podcast. Hmm. Uh, I think it's not to get all woo woo, you know, with the whole thing, but you know, again, I mean, that's what the podcast is about. This, this idea of information um, also is, you know, the information structures, and I really wonder if somehow we weren't broadcasting this out and that some people that were schizophrenic or attuned, you know, to, to hearing things or sensing things didn't somehow unconsciously pick up on that information. I mean, literally what they're writing about in the signs is the fucking podcast. You know, mm-hmm. they're talking about the Truman Show. And they're naming all these things that are examples of why reality is not real and why there's a, this veil over everything. It, it was just so crazy, you know, that, that, that somebody was going around town. Of course, the cops, you know, I asked them who, who they think it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's some dude who thinks people are in the tunnels underneath the town uh, pushing shopping carts with microwaves trying to affect people's brains. And he's like, it's fucking ridiculous. And I'm like, for one thing, you just mentioned fucking tunnels underneath the town, you know, right. <laughs> you know, that's fucked up. Um, and yeah, I mean, who knows, man, it, it was weird. It just had a lot, a lot of, it's attracted a lot of weird people and, um, and not to be insensitive to anyone that has schizophrenia, but there have been a lot of people with schizophrenia that have shown up We had a fucking apocalyptic preacher who was running a doomsday cult in uh, California shows up here two months ago, right? The Reverend White. And he had, he was trying to move his cult to Somerset. (laughs) Have you guys not seen this? Did you not? No, no. Man, people went nuts about this. I didn't even know about it. Someone on Twitter found this. We got a couple of cults out here too. So, you know, we got our own homegrown ones. In Nashville? Like what kind of cults? Project God. <laughs> yeah, there's a cult that actually uh, called Global Outreach. I have to development. The, 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 global Outreach Development. So the actual G-O-D. yeah God is the actual uh, acronym. So yeah, so and and they they actually pretty much own this neighborhood around here. Talk about like, um, I mean, should I say this or <laughs> talk about, talk about just like weird places. I mean, there's a neighborhood around here. I'm not going to give the name of it, but, uh, they pretty much own it. And, um, it oddly enough has, it's an old African American community that, um, it was the black folks who worked at DuPont. Right, right. And it has a name that's very reminiscent of uh, Indian Mounds, oddly enough. And there actually was an Indian Mound very close to it at one point. Um, just just, just to say that. But this cult has kind of... Uh, they have revitalized the neighborhood. 
and they've built like these tall and skinny houses all over the place and they have That's like what they call it revitalize yeah they have like an hvac business that is like you'll see the you'll see just like the fleets of the vans everywhere so like the people work for the cults and then they've got this little food truck that they all work in uh, they they took this old school, which was used to be an African American school during the segregation times. They took it and they turned it into their church, and now they've just like taken over the entire neighborhood. Um, that's so, crazy. yeah. And it's yeah. God. Yeah, it's God. Yeah, they're probably better at business than this uh, end times cult you're talking about. Yeah, they're yeah they're just they're just slightly better. Well the. Just recently, uh, the leader and his wife got um, indicted for embezzling or exploiting TenCare, which is like the state kind of like medical free medical service here, kind of like a Medicaid kind of statewide thing. Yeah. And then we have also, uh, I think we already mentioned this on another show, Greg Locke here in his church, which is also right down the road. He's the one that like is on CNN and stuff like virulently like anti-mask and anti-vaccine and all that kind of stuff. So, so we've got a couple. I consider that a cult because he's pretty much he's got that charisma of a cult leader. Like he could, you know, he could Jim Jones the fuck out of his congregation anytime he wants to. Probably he's just well, doing it slowly. Yeah. yeah besides uh, contributing to people dying of COVID, probably. Uh, it, they just ain't murdering like they do in Somerset, Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, I mean, that is, he's not the guy that's on the videos uh, um, talking about uh, like not masking up and stuff. Have you seen those videos? Yeah, that's that's yeah, him. that's him. He's yeah. world famous. Yep. Yeah. Saw one of those videos like an hour ago. It's it started because he went into like a Dunkin' Donuts store and they asked him to mask. This is like during the depth of the lockdown, and uh, he like started yelling at him and screaming at him, and you know got mad and started his little like uh, you know one of those like you know car seat uh, videos that you that you see. So yeah, so we've yeah we got a couple of homegrown ones here. But you probably got more, like more per capita, small in 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 Somerset. So I mean, I mean that dude. It was weird that the dude showed up. He really was. I mean, part of a cult in California. He said it's been a pretty hot summer there too, huh? It's been it's been a hot summer here, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, do you remember that show on HBO about ayahuasca? You know what I'm talking about? Um, Not in particular. It's a uh, and it wasn't HBO, I'm sorry, it was Vice. Vice TV. Going to their drug shows where they do all these different psychedelics. It, the whole show was just focused on one ayahuasca church in America. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, um, it, it, it was a pretty popular show, but it was super strange. And all these people came from all over to this guy. And he was kind of a religious leader. And he was administering ayahuasca and ayahuasca um, therapies to people. And that was, they, they wouldn't disclose where it was at, right? Guess oh. where it fucking was. <laughs> it was here in fucking Somerset. It was in Burnside. Wow. Like, wow. Outside. It's like one of the suburbs of, of Somerset. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me? What the fuck? Right. <laughs> uh, 
ayahuasca shamans in Somerset. It's all, it's all, it's all like it's just being. People are drawn to the place. Yeah. Isn't there something about a panther or something? Oh, about the black. You mean like the the, yeah. the alien big cats? Um, yeah. Isn't that associated with ayahuasca too? Oh, is it a panther? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe some rainforest shit. Maybe I'm just convoluting like a million. I think I have heard people say that though. Dan Dutton, the the artist that appears in uh, the first season of Penny Royal, who's very much tied into all the weirdness here, he uh, um, he just did an art show about, and he, and he's really gotten involved in this too because a lot of the stuff that he I don't think he perceived it as paranormal or occult, you know, at the time it was sort of like part of the process of the art. And, um, he, he and I are really close friends and, and we've been working on the, the that fawn film that I mentioned, you know, the, the, where he had this strange experience in Elkhorn city and like hell years at a suburb of Elkhorn city, you know, and he thought that he encountered the archetype of pan, you know, which is super strange, but we've been working on a film about that experience. And, um, so, Oh, you know, I've talked to him a lot about the things I've found about, about Somerset and this town, his family's one of the old families, the old Pennsylvania Dutch families. Okay that came here, you know, they practiced powwow. Magic. I was about to ask you that. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing. Um, there's a witch that's part of his pantheon of work. Um, that's, uh, aunt Lou and she was a Tartar. So the Duttons, the Tartars, and then two other families came from Virginia, but they were, you know, German, Pennsylvania, Dutch. And I asked him about, you know, Dandyland, the farm that he, lives on that his family owned, but, but it's now referred to Dandyland. It's a sculpture park. Right. Um, I asked him, you know, because a lot of UFO sightings have happened there. That's where some of the uh, skyfalls happened that were documented here in town. Mm, okay. Uh, it's near some of the mounds, the Adena mounds that are located in Pulaski County are near, near there. So anyway, I asked him if, if his family had like felt drawn to that piece of land or if, you know, like, well, how did they choose it? You know, did the land choose them? Did they choose the land? Did they just randomly pick it? And he said it was because there was this giant white oak and that a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch families that practice powwow would always look for a giant white oak. And that motif of the oak is is a major thing here here in Somerset. So, anyway, that's so, you know. There's Oak Hill, Oak Wood is the mental institution where um, they had all the, the weird savants that were channeling alien intelligences. You know, um, and and then I recently, two weeks ago, found out a whole new batch of of stories and research and information about that part of the county and triangle UFOs and goblin sightings, <laughs> which is totally weird, you know? Um, but, but anyway, but, but Dan, his most recent uh, gallery opening was about corn and the mines and jaguars and, and black panthers, right? And so he connects in his research and his art, the idea of black panther sightings and these alien big cats with corn that they're often seen entering and exiting. You know, people see them cross the road 
But when you really look at the sidings, they're crossing the road from a cornfield into another cornfield. And this, this whole concept of, of the worship of corn in uh, America, you know, um, and also seen in a liminal space in between the fields. Right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so I thought that was interesting that he had, he had sort of pulled that. He he's had his own black, you know, Black Panther sightings. You know, again with the whole Panther thing too. It's uh, it's strange that there that was the number one thing of all the people, and I interviewed hundreds of people in the county over a three year period. That was the number one thing that everyone had a story about a Panther sighting. They called them painters, you know, it's with the dialect here, you know, but it was. Yep. It is these these panthers, but no one has ever found a melanistic black panther north of Mexico since I think 1923. Right? Are there um, are there mountain lions naturally there? There are bobcats and wildcats. Are not mountain lions, but wild, bobcats and wildcats. Um, we actually have three bobcats on this farm that I that I just got. You know, in a cave uh, adjacent to the farm. You got a cave? We have four large caves on the property. Oh, shit. That's crazy. Crazy, dude. Uh, it's a real weird sort of... It's a, it's a, wait till you guys see it. When, <laughs> when you guys come up, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this, Nathan? You know? Um, but it's a, it's a weird place. But anyway, but I don't think it's that. I, I don't think people are misidentifying these things. You know, we're having tons of accounts of they're, they're saying black panthers you know that's, that's what it is it's a black panther and they're they're from tail to nose the length of the road right you know so uh huge animals but what is it because no one's ever you know, killed one you know no one's ever hit one no one's ever found the remains of one it's another one of these uh you know it's like bigfoot and so but they're often associated. The sightings are associated with, you know, ancient earthworks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in England, there's the whole beast of Dartmoor, you know, and, and, and all those sightings. And so, it, you know, are, there are no giant cats in England. It's a fucking island. <laughs> so, right. so those definitely are alien big cats. But the same thing's happening here and and there are all these cornfields. We're just the whole county is covered in cornfields, and that's what Dan was saying. It's like, you know, somehow is it creating a liminal space, or is there some connection to the worship of corn? And so, anyway, his, his most recent recent gallery show was about that. But um, I don't know, man. It's one of those fascinating things that you can't you can't dismiss it. But you know, where the fuck does it fit into all of this? You know, I, I don't know. Um, but, but it is fascinating now. Yeah, you hear the stories about the errant cats a lot. Um, that is a big 14 cr- creature that people see all the time. Is, is, you know, the thing is, that, like, uh, that's why I asked about the mountain lions. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm sure that they're probably there uh, because, I mean, they've been spotted here. So, I mean, they're they're more widespread they're more widespread i think than people think and that's a natural animal so and cougars and shit like that but you know it, it makes me think about uh the bell witch and what however you feel about that story i mean you know the first 
in the folklore, in the story, the first manifestation, it also has to do with an Indian mound, and it also has to do with um, a large, in that story, it's a more like a dog-like creature, but also black, similar, and there was some reference to the uh, Bill Witch is the black dog and those type of things, too, so... All that stuff, I think. All that stuff, I think, is like just comes out of folklore. But um, I totally agree. And, and there are a ton of black dog sightings here, and dogman sightings in yeah. this area, um, which are which are uh, you know that's one of those things I didn't expect to find. I didn't expect to find a bunch of uh, dogman sightings, but you know, I definitely did. Um, and and just like black dog sightings, you know, so. Um, right which that's that's another uh, motif in the british isles too yes the black dog you know hand of the baskervilles plays on that so hellhounds you know yeah yeah hellhound on the trail you know another another strange thing too here in somerset on the on the border of uh casey county and somerset casey county is full of um of um uh, amish it's a huge amish community um, but they, um, right on the border there, turn of the century, there were all of these reports of a, um, dog killer, right? Like this thing that was roaming the woods for, for, I think it was a three week period. And it was, it killed over 60 dogs. God damn. It decapitated the dogs, right? Ate their heads off. They didn't find the heads. And there are tons of newspaper stories about this. And it, and it moved, it had started in Texas and had a definite line of migration up through the South into Kentucky. And then it happened here in Casey County and they formed a hunting party to, to find the thing. And the reports are super interesting because when they, um, when they actually cornered what they thought it was, the people that were in the group that cornered it all saw the thing as a different thing like like their descriptions of it were all different so it's like 10 different descriptions and um and then they shot it they thought they killed it it got away and and then it was never heard from again it was just this like short period of time that this thing seemed to like pop into our reality and then pop out of our reality after creating all this chaos there's a lot about that too in um with bigfoot dogs supposedly hate bigfoot bigfoot hates dogs and then you've got the whole beginning of the mothman story where mothman is encountered by a guy with a dog and the dog runs after it and then the people that first see mothman i believe it's they they see a dog dead on the side of the road you know there's there's some since we're in the dog days i guess <laughs> there's a lot of dog imagery in a lot in a lot of that uh, in a lot of those stories too well so so one of the strange things that we found um after the podcast came out too i was starting to you know i collected all these stories and i didn't really know how some of it fit in but one of the things was that there are all of these accounts of dog sacrifices here in Pulaski County, right? And down in McCree, which is South. And people would find in the caves, uh, in the mines, uh, dogs wrapped in barbed wire. 
that would be, you know, a half a mile into a mine that had been burned on an altar. You know, those were some of the stories I was hearing. Um, just recently, um, a group of people were climbing at the, some of the caves near even where Hellier did, you know, shot some of their stuff. And they came upon a tarp that had like six or eight dogs dead wrapped up outside the cave. Right. Which is, which is really a strange thing. You know, we have dog slaughter falls down here. That's adjacent to Cumberland falls. And it is, was always rumored to be a place where, um, Paleolithic or, you know, Paleo Indian tribes had sacrificed dogs. Right. Now, when you start talking about dog sacrifice, you have to consider the idea that it could be connected to Hecate. Uh, you, you stole what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so so right. then we, when you start looking at Hecate and all of the stuff that's happening, you got to start thinking, is somebody down here? an acolyte, you know, or some type of, of Hecate, is there Hecate worship going on? Um, have you ever talked to Walter Bosley, Nathan? Oh yeah, dude, Walter and I, yeah. So we yeah. got together and he, yeah, I think he digs it because he was talking about if he'd known about this stuff going on when he was in Ohio station. He was at Wright Patterson. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. he's going to be in the second season. Okay, good, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's Nick Redfern talks about in one of his books, uh, I forget which one, he talks about how um, in England there was a cult that was doing that, sacrificing dogs. And they also, they were, they were, they worshiped Hecate as a Catholic deity. And Well, the uh, whole thing, you know, the, the, um, you know, the reason I found Bosley and Spence, right? Right. Was because of um, the Empire of the Will. And the, and the sort of similarities between those murders that occurred, you know, in San Bernardino and, you know, 1913, and then uh, the murders that were happening here, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and obviously Bosley, you know, relates some of this stuff to Hecate and a cult of Hecate. So, um, I don't know, man, it's strange. Like there really are, there are a lot of dog sacrifices in a history of, of, uh, of dead dogs here. And, and then, and then you, you, you mix this in with the downer research, right. And the, that entering this whole thing with, uh, serious, the dog star. Yeah. yeah, dude. And think about this shit, right? So I'm researching fucking, uh, magical correspondences and I don't practice any magic, but you know, obviously have, have been researching it because of all the connections between these things. And um, when you look at the, I think it was the magical correspondences of Sirius, right? The plant that corresponds with Sirius is, guess what? Fucking Pennyroyal. And the stone that corresponds with it is quartz, right? So it was another one. I was like, what the fuck is this? Why would this, you know, and especially when we got deeper into the Sirius rising stuff, um, and it, later I will tell you something that's going to blow your fucking mind that we just found out that relates to Grimstead and to Penny Royal directly. Right. Like it's, it's so crazy, dude. I, I still, I still don't know how to, how to process it. So anyway, 
as far hmm. as like the dog murders and, and cryptids, I mean, what what better way to to let us know that whatever it is is not our friend? Yeah. <laughs> right. Than to kill our domestic animals like that. I mean, that's like yeah. Well, dogs are our protectors, and there are um, early warning systems and and that type of thing. Yeah, the front lines. And there's such a there's such a uh, ingrained relationship between man and and dog that I mean they were the first animal. I mean, what thirty five thousand years or something? I mean, you know, you're talking about a long ass time. That's interesting because that probably not just domestic animals, but like animal husbandry, you know, that's kind of the, it predates agriculture. And that's kind of one of the first things setting us apart, you know, that fall from Eden or whatever. And so maybe it has something to do with that. You know, no one's ever really looked at that though. You know, why, like really though, why the Bigfoot accounts where, where there's the, there's the killing of dogs all these alien encounters where dogs are, are found dead, you know? Yeah. We just had uh, David Perkins on talking about, you know, the history of cattle mutilation and beyond yeah. that to like horses and other, other animals too. Yeah. I think there's something to it. I mean, I don't know what it is, but um, there's just too many accounts of all of this stuff and, and too many occult references to uh, even locally, you know, to this, that, you know, I, I don't think we can discount it. I don't, again, don't know where it fits. Um, so, um, and this is in the second season of, of Penny Royal. And again, I'm going to reveal a bunch of things to you guys that are, are, are big things in the second season, but um, I don't think it hurts the story to talk about them because you have to see it in the whole context. And then you're like, Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. It, to talk about them individually, it's still incredibly fascinating. But like when you string them together, it's just, it's, I don't know what the fuck it is, but, <laughs> but um, so the first time that downward is mentioned in print, you know, is in cosmic trigger, uh, not a newspaper article, I'm saying, but actually someone referencing, you know, James Shelby downward, his conspiracy theories is in Robert Anton Wilson's, um, cosmic trigger so grimstead um sends you know the illuminatus trilogy comes out they talk about the number 23 a lot in there and so um a lot of people started sending robert anton wilson you know crazy synchronicities with the number 23 so he actually references in cosmic trigger a letter he receives uh, a clipping from a, a, a UFO journal, a British UFO journal, which is really, it's the 40 and news actually it's called the news. It was, and it eventually became the 40 and times. And so he sends this article to uh, Robert Anton Wilson about a group of channelers in England who are channeling an entity called Jiro, J-I-R-O, right? And, and the, the entity mentions the number 23 and a bunch of other weird shit. Um, but then after that, he, he, sends, he sends that first, and then he sends um, 
the downer serious rising tapes right and so there's this you know two or three paragraphs in cosmic trigger um which obviously is a you know majorly famous where it's where the star seed stuff gets started really i think um and or at least is, is popularized and um i i thought you know you know adam Gilratley and i have been corresponding quite a bit uh, and exchanging a lot of information that we've been you know finding and, and he had mentioned that there was the possibility that the that there were more than one serious rising tape and the other ones possibly you know possibly involved um channeling right and and that michael hoffman there was this idea that michael hoffman could be involved definitely that grimstead was involved but you know they're down in saint petersburg in 1974 with charles saunders um and they're setting up which i you know i don't have any you know direct evidence for this but you know i think they were involved in setting up a chapter of the you know uh was it the, the American Socialist Party or the Socialist Democrat? The, the American, I don't want to say American Nazi Party, but. I think it's, it's an offshoot, though, of, you know, it's like one of the offshoots of the American Nazi Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it sound so innocent, doesn't it? It's right. And, and I'm not calling them Nazis. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to establish for the record, I'm not, you know, on the, on the air calling them Nazis, but. <laughs> so uh so anyway they're down there and and that's the thing you know when he sends the article to robert Andrew wilson he says you know wn grimstead of st petersburg florida right so it's you know it verifies that he's down there at that time so, so you know when we got deeper into the to the penny royal mystery channeling came up especially with oakwood and the group of savants that were at this um, experimental mental health facility, right? That they were, there were nine of them and they were channeling these alien intelligences. Of course there were nine of them. Of course. You know, which I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know? And Dan Dutton is involved in that. You know, Dan Dutton is one of the witnesses to it. And, and yeah. I remember that. I remember that from the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, did, did his, his contact with those channel beings that he can't remember what happened at this experimental mental health facility called Oakland, you know, and you think of the Oak King and Pan and all that shit um, and how much his work focuses on Pan. But, you know, he says after that experience, he went home and that day had the inspiration for all of these other works that were to come, including, you know, the, the, the fawn and you know, the pan that ties into the, a lot of the weirdness that's happened. And the rebirth of Pan, again, you know, William Grimstead. So um, um, it was weird that Chamlin kept coming up. So I was like, man, we've got to get this Jiro article. You know, I've got to find this. I've got to see what it was that was so important in that article that he had to send it to Robert Anthony Wilson. So for, for the last year, I've been looking for it. Um, I've bought anthologies of the Fortean Times, Pre, and I could never get it, could never find that specific article. And then a member of the Lodge, of our, our Patreon group, of the Liminal Lodge, who, who had just recently joined, tells me, oh, I think I have an anthology of the, of the first few years of that. Let me dig it out and see if I have it. And he did. So he copies it, he sends it to me, and it's called Portrait 
of a fault zone. Okay. And I'm like, well, okay, what, you know, what is it? It's two parts and it's written by Paul Devereaux and Andrew York. Right. And Paul Devereaux is really famous because he edited the lay hunter and right. it was, was big into uh, the 1960s, 1970s. Yeah. Randall Carlson is really big on his stuff. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, a very established writer, right. And very established researcher about telluric energies, ley lines, all that stuff. Ancient. Yes. Especially in like in British Isles and stuff. He's kind of the, he's kind of like the last really big figure from that earth mysteries movement. That's still out there relevant and not, uh, you know, pretty, uh, right wing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, God, I I, I'm not going to go off on a tangent yet. I, I want to mention something to you too. Don't, don't let me forget to talk about David Southwell. I, I want to mention David Southwell, but um, so anyway, I get this article and I start reading it and I'm like, Holy fuck. Right. It is about this specific part of England. It's Leicestershire, Right. And they focus on it because it has all of this high strangeness. And they go into the, to the research, the story, and they talk about meteorites landing there. Then the next section is about geomagnetic anomalies, right? And then the next section is about, and as you're reading it, it is the trajectory of our research in Pennyroyal to this specific area. And he keeps talking about the relationship between people and place and place and people. And it's this whole concept of the landscape and, and how the landscape is affecting people. And, and it gets into UFO sightings, uh, seismic activity, a lot of like geomagnetism quartz is involved. But it's like it is fucking Penny Royal in 1974 in Leicestershire. It even gets into this whole contactee movement where they start channeling these entities and one of which was uh, Jiro, but another one was named Lear and Leicestershire is where King Lear, the historical King Lear lived. Um, and uh, they, there was, there was, I think it was Robert Graves who said that um, there was a vault underneath um, the Soar River, S-O-A-R, um, which goes through that area, and that King Lear was buried there and that he worshipped uh, the Roman god Janus, you know, the two-faced god. And people were like, that's fucking ridiculous, right? But Paul Devereaux mentions that story, and then I found, once I started researching this, they did find a vault underneath the Soar River, with idols to Janus, which confirmed their belief, right? So that you've got these, these entities that are being channeled in that area, calling themselves leader, right? Um, and then Jiro, um, the number 23 pops up. But anyway, I'll send these, uh, it's a two-part uh, series uh, about this, but it talks about cults in that area that worship the oak and that they sacrificed oaks. And there's this, this idea of, they doesn't come out and say pan, but this, this idea of, of, um, of an earth spirit, you know, that's, that's communicating with people. You know, it's very much, you know, it, it crosses, 
it, it sort of crosses content with what, um, what Grimstead was researching to create the rebirth, to write the rebirth of Pan, right? Um, and obviously, Serfiel, you've, you've found, you know, some amazing research about where that really comes from, right? But I'm telling you, man, it is super strange that William Grimstead sent Robert Anton Wilson an article from the Fortean Times that literally, like, mirrors the first season of Penny Royal. Like, even in terms of, like, where in the story they talk about the channeling, you know, where they're talking about the old cults, where they're talking, you know, the only thing he doesn't talk about is, is murders. He literally sent Robert Anton Wilson an article that is, pen- it is Penny Royal in England yeah. in 1974, right? 1975. But right. also like that same time period is when um, Guterma shows up here in Somerset, right? And then 1975 is when, you know, we're going to talk about Charles Hayes, but Charles Hayes was active, was running weapons, you know, trafficking in in rocket launchers, you know. Do we want to talk about him now? And this is, we brought him up. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about him now. Yeah. So Charles Hayes, you know, we found all the stuff about um, Guterma, which was strange, you know, that he was possibly an ex-Nazi you know, shows up in Somerset in 1975, buys that mine from Spiro Agnew, you know, they bought with Nixon re-election campaign money, which... Yeah, and there's some continuity of government stuff going on with that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was all really weird to find in Somerset. And then, um, you know, we're researching all this stuff, finding all these documents, and someone joined the our, our Linda Lodge, and they, they really, it looked like they just created a Facebook account to send us this one message, right? And the message was, have you looked at Charles Hayes? And when they sent that, the, um, the article that they attached was about the largest gemstone seizure in U.S. history, right, by U.S. Customs. And it was like $20 million in uncut gemstones, something crazy. And so this, this guy from Nancy, Kentucky, here in Pulaski County, right, is the guy that was involved in it. And he says that they used a, a Berea college student to, as a mule to transport, transport the gemstones from, from Brazil. And then Charles Hayes received them. He says he was a, uh, an international attorney in Brazil for five years from 1980 to 1985. And he, he gets involved and they, the U S government seizes these gemstones and and then he asks for restitution. He wants 10%, $2 million as a finder's fee, you know, for, for these gemstones. And it's, it's they're crazy newspaper articles about this. So that this starts me thinking, well, holy shit, right? We found Guterma. Now you're telling me there's a, a gem a gemstone smuggler here in here in Pulaski County. But when you look into Charles Hayes, you find out that he's much more than a gemstone smuggler, right? You find out that this guy um, supposedly, you know. Back in the 60s, the articles about him, he was running a place called the Beckett Hotel, 
and he got in trouble for not having an entertainment license. Uh, but really what he was running was a, a brothel and they were doing mm-hmm. honey trap mm-hmm. uh, sort of operations with politicians, cops, and, and getting dirt on them. Uh, he got in trouble over that in the 19, I think it was the 50s through the 60s. There were lots of news stories about that. In the mid-70s, he gets caught trafficking uh, arms, okay? And we're not talking shotguns and hunting rifles. He got busted trafficking rocket launchers in Pulaski County, right, in the mid, mid-70s. mid um, What the so hell? Right? So just, you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? You know, and I'm like, this is, this is strange. Um, and then there's the gemstone stuff in 1985, right? So at that point, you're thinking, I, I definitely was thinking, you know, like, is this guy fucking an intelligence agent? You know, is he part of the CIA? So to get rocket launchers, uh, you, yeah, you're probably barking up the right tree there in the 1980s. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That was either probably going to the Contras or it was going to Afghanistan. Right. Who knows? Well, so um, just in terms of Pulaski County, um, they ended up consolidating the high schools here, the county high schools into Pulaski County High School. There used to be a Nancy High School. Well, when they consolidated the high schools, that building lay dormant. Well, Charles Hayes, his name is Chalmer Charles Hayes, but he goes by Chuck Hayes. And he bought the Nancy High School and began to store weapons underneath the fucking basketball court. And I've interviewed people that broke in. They found it. He had uh, uh, snow ski machines, right? Like, like uh, uh, snowmobiles, you know, and, and shit like that. That it doesn't snow enough down here. <laughs> for those guns like weird things were stored there and um, he always represented himself as a scrap dealer mm-hmm. and so in 1991 he uh, or I guess this was a little between 88 and 1991 he purchased um, some equipment at an auction in Lexington Kentucky it was a government option uh, auction for um, computers. And he bought these computers for $45 on a pallet. And right after he bought the computers, for some reason, the government realized that they hadn't wiped the hard drives. So they asked him for the computers back. And this is all documented, right? They're like, give us the computers back. And he says, no, I fucking bought these things. <laughs> right? What, what year is this again? What year is this? I think the the actual action I'm talking about came in 1991, right? Okay. But it was like 1990, 1991. But he was already doing all this weird shit, had already been... All this other weird shit, shit, yeah, with the government has happened. And he had somehow, like, it, it was well known he was a semi or fully illegal arms dealer, but somehow he, like, he's not incarcerated or... Doesn't really get in trouble. I mean, again, how in the world, you know, like he's charged in the 50s and 60s running these like, you know, scams where he's getting people, you know, evidence of people with prostitutes, right? Then in the 70s, he's an armed trafficker. Then in the 80s, he's trafficking uncut gemstones from Brazil. He's a player. 
so so then in so then in 1991 he um buys this computer equipment they want it back he won't give it to them they tell him if he doesn't give it to them they're going to arrest him he tells them to go fuck themselves and then the fbi raids his farm in nancy takes the computer equipment wipes it gives it back to him he sues the government and they pay him two hundred thousand dollars in restitution okay this is, this is all documented in the news stories so then it comes out that he is a possibly and he, he's telling everybody this, that he is an ex CIA contractor and that he has been a contractor for the uh, CIA for 42 years. And that when he was in Brazil in the 1980s, what he was really doing was selling the promise software. He was one of the brokers for Inslaw and was selling it to the Brazilian government. And they paid him for the promise software with these uncut gems, right? And so when you look at this, the U.S. government helped topple the Brazilian government in 1985, right at the time that he got the fuck out and came back to Pulaski. Yeah, that was the year that the military gave up power and it switched back to a civilian government. It's 1985. Yeah. The... Yeah, so if anyone's not familiar with the Promise software, I mean, you can go back and listen to our show with Ken Thomas about this. I mean, this, the whole octopus and uh, the uh, the Indian Reservation out in California, the Cabazon Indian Reservation, which is incidentally where the Brontosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex are. That's not too far away from... Peewee's Dinosaurs, I was just there. Yeah, you're right. Is that really yeah. where it is? Yeah, yeah, that's right outside the Cabazon Indian Reservation. And it's not very far from uh, the Integratron, a giant rock either. It's all kind of there, that same area. Yeah. I went out there with uh, Walter Bosley and Greg Bishop back in like three years ago when I was out in California. And Sir Fiel just did that. Not, he, do, he went to both places about a few weeks ago. Those pictures were cool too. That he put. Well, there, was a, there was a computer that was buried. I dug it up and it had promise software <laughs> well is, is whack and hut still out there i don't know but that's where whack and hut secured they were on the indian reservation because they could get away with a lot of weapons weapons testing on the indian reservation grounds just the place in general is a place to get ducked off it's like there's some yeah. real deal desert rats out there it's like outside of palm springs 29 palms and all that there's some people really ducked off yeah well, so, so I do want to talk about uh, Danny Castellaro a little bit because, you know, this is, you know, the Castellaro story of the octopus and, you know, Ken Thomas eventually publishing it. But, you know, that's one of the, I think that's one of the biggest for people that are, are real conspiracy theorists in terms of researchers, you know, there are a lot of conspiracy right. theorists out there. They're on YouTube reading a lot of headlines and watching fifth fifth dimensional videos that I, when I ask them, you know, do you know who Downard is or do you know any of this? They're like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, you're not really a, a researcher. <laughs> you know, you're just like, you're reading Facebook headlines, you know, and spreading misinformation. But um, for people that obviously are into conspiracy theory, which I don't think they're really conspiracy theories. I mean, there's something happening, but Castellaro's octopus is one of the most famous, you know? And um, 
so so Chuck Hayes, he it, it is the promise software that was on those computers that were wiped, right? Um, and so he ends up getting called to testify in 1992 in the Inslaw case in Chicago. And the government uh, attorneys are like, he's telling everybody, I'm an ex-CIA contractor. And my cover name was Charles Lawson. And here's my CIA ID. And they're like, fuck, he's not. It's a lie. He's just a Pulaski County, Kentucky scrap dealer is what they say. He's a junk dealer and he's full of shit. And then he opens his mouth and starts to talk and they enacted the national security act. And no one knows what happened after that. Right. <laughs> so, so then there are records that he was consulted in the investigation in Mena, Arkansas, that connects to Bill Clinton and all this stuff where they were a- flying cocaine down to the Sandinistas. Right. Yeah, that was all part of a rant contra. Yeah. Yes, right. So guess guess who was the guy that gave them that information? It was fucking Chuck Hayes. Is listed as one of the witnesses that told them to look at Mina, right? That's where Barry Seal was flying out of. Was Mina? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the movie? What's the movie? Uh, American. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was with the Tom Cruise. But the original name of the movie was going to be Mina. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, so, you know, Chuck Hayes is, is the guy that, that kind of puts them on to this. And he says that he was one of the uh, CIA pilots because he was in the Air Force, right? And he says he was flying. He realized that he was flying a shipment of cocaine down to the Sandinistas to exchange, you know, it and dumped it out on the runway in Mina, and got into a firefight and a bunch of people got killed and he escaped. Right. So, you know, that's another one of those weird stories, but the information that he gave investigators in Arkansas was real, you know? And, and so that was one of the things that was mentioned. Um, a lot of, of what I'm about to say comes from Dick Russell, um, who was, a you know, a great, um, journalist, researcher. He wrote an article for um, the High Times. And I know a lot of people would be like, oh, fuck the High Times, right? But it's kind of like Playboy. You know, there were a lot of like actually well-researched yeah. articles. In- yeah, they had a lot of cool oh, yeah. stuff back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Back, you know, now I wouldn't think so. But, but back in the day, it definitely was. So Dick Russell uh, did an article called um, uh, Spook Wars in Cyberspace. And it's a, a, a great fucking article. And he lays out this whole connection between Chuck Hayes and Inslaw because uh, in 19, I guess it was 1991. It was right, right after all this stuff happened with the, the U S government raiding his farm and everything um, about a month before Danny Castellaro was found dead in Martinsburg, um, which again, you know, I've always heard that he had four gashes on each arm, which were the, you know, the octopus arms, you know, four and four. 
um, which who knows if that's even true, but you know, it's one of those urban legends where it's like, he's looking for the octopus and they murder him that way, you know, as a, as a symbol. Um, but I've never heard, heard that, that part. part yes. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I, that I came across was that about the four gashes on each arm. That's very yeah. down nerdy and right. Right. There's this weird, you know, yeah. Symbolism to it. So they looked at his phone records and he had hundreds of phone calls to guess who Chuck Hayes in the months before his death. And so it's believed that Chuck Hayes provided him with the prompt, the information about the promise software. Okay. And what's crazy is that Chuck Hayes starts telling everybody and, and starts coming out in these, uh, publications um, throughout America, some of these like underground publications and on the internet um, that he is the founder of a group called the fifth column and that they got their hands on the promise software. And because he had been one of the people selling it and he was, you know, he knew how to hack and he and a group of ex CIA contractors that had been fucked by the CIA formed this fifth column and they started to, um, they, they outsourced a Cray supercomputer from, you know, all of the computer equipment that he was going around to various government auctions. They were able to piece together a Cray supercomputer. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I wondered, like, why the Cray supercomputer? You know, like, what, what connection is that to any of this stuff? You know, why, 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 why that detail? But when you look up the Cray supercomputer, you find out that it is the super... I, I had to buy a... Four, it was like a $35 or $40 pay, uh, paper that was only available from a government contractor about the Cray supercomputer's in the nineties that were used to, to man, uh, to handle the 16, um, SATCOM government satellites. Right. And so there is this weird connection between the Cray supercomputer. So the story goes that he and the fifth column built this Cray supercomputer in the back of a fucking semi trailer in Pulaski County and started driving it around so that the government could never find it. And it was driving around Kentucky. It was driving around Pulaski County. And there's an episode in the X-Files 
where there's a supercomputer in the back of a semi where they have uh, the lone gunman or in the episode, right? That's based on this fucking story, okay? And, and when you dig deeper into the Castellero stuff and you find everything about uh, Michael uh, Riscontiuto or whatever his name is, the, yeah. the, the guy out there on the reservations um, and the yellow lodges that Ken Thomas mentions, that's why the X-Files have all of those episodes where they're on the Indian reservation, you know, cause they're, they're, they're doing these extra governmental, you know, that's unregulated by the U S government research. Right. Yeah. That, that stuff gets into the popular culture. Yeah. 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 And so that's, but, but I didn't realize the sim, the supercomputer in the semi trailer was from Chuck Hayes in Pulaski County. Right? So these supercomputers would be linking to the satellites. Yeah. And, getting compromising information that they could then use. Yes. Yeah. But so, so they were tracking the promise software tracked financial information and um, criminal information. So they went to all these governments around the world and told them, you know, your, your banks are not communicating with each other because no one knew that they were working with the CIA, you know, in law was just like, you know, they were using CIA contractors as salesmen. But they were going in here and, you know, Chuck Hayes was one of them. They were going into these, you know, governments like Brazil or wherever, even smaller municipalities and saying, look, none of your banks are communicating. Everything's on paper. Digitize it. And then and you'll have all this information at, at your hands, you know? Yeah. And it was it was a deten- it was really it was a back door to spy on these countries yeah and that's what you know no one knew that that Inslaw had contracted with the cia right and, and we only know that because the fucking u.s government welched on paying the last six million dollars to Inslaw, you know and then so the, and, and the people that made the software they didn't know um that it was being used in that way, but the CIA or whoever had actually figured out that there was a back, there was a way that this software could be used to spy because of just the way it was designed. So it was, it was kind of just a fluke that it even happened in the first place. Yeah. But supposedly Chuck Hayes, once he got his hands on it, he, um, added another backdoor supposedly uh Riscontito or whatever how do you have i think it's reconosciuto i think Riconosciuto, it's yeah um, that he added a backdoor right because he was going to go in and do this but then um chuck hayes in the fifth column they also did so um chuck hayes was using the promise software to look at all these financial transactions of, of u.s senators politicians and finding patterns that showed that they were taking, you know, that they were corrupt. And during the period, I think it was, let me see here. Yeah. And it was 60 U S senators and and, U S representatives announced their retirements just before the 1996 elections. And supposedly that's because um, between 1991 and 1996, Chuck Hayes, and this group of ex-CIA contractors were sending manila envelopes to these senators showing that they had caught them and giving them 24 hours to resign, right? And this this gave him the the name, the angel of death, right, is how they referred to it. Talk about just like absolute power. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a powerful position for one guy. It had to have been a good mix of senators, and I mean, sixty senators. I mean, that's that's a lot. So it had to have been a, a much more like representatives because you wouldn't, but you it wouldn't even put a dent. Yeah. Yeah. If if it was too many senators, it would shift power. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This was just enough to cause some chaos, which I think, which I think is really what guys like this really like to do is just to cause chaos because they learn how to do this in other countries. Yes. You talking about him being down in Brazil? Yeah. And chickens come home to roost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I just watched the movie The Siege the other night again. You know, where uh, Bruce Willis, you know, they, they declare martial law and uh, Denzel Washington is trying to trace it down. Turns out the terrorists were all trained by the U.S., you know. And, yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but yeah, I remember what you're, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing, you know, but anyway, in 1996, at the height of this happening, the U.S. government, well, the FBI busts. Hayes for trying to hire an undercover FBI agent who was portraying himself as a hitman. He hires him supposedly for a hundred dollars to murder his son. Okay. So, so they set him up in this murder for hire scheme. And the, the star witness is a um, God, what is his name? Is it a- That's a cheap hit, man. Yeah. Well, so the guy says to him in the recordings that he wants five thousand once it's done, but a hundred dollars up front. And so Hayes has always maintained that he knew that it was an undercover FBI agent. And the tapes that they used to convict him, he says, I know you're an FBI agent. It's ridiculous that you want me to give you a hundred dollars to kill my son, but fuck it. Here's a hundred dollars, you know, you fucking FBI agent. And they use that. <laughs> To, to do it supposedly right um the guy that set it up for him though um let me find this here his name was let's see here. yeah here it is yeah lawrence myers he's the journalist from california who was in a mental institution for 10 years at one point and also was an FBI informant. And he testified in a, another uh, murder for hire case where the FBI set up a politician in Knoxville, Tennessee in the same thing where it's the same journalist saying he asked me to find a hitman for him. So they use that same guy in the Chalmer Hayes case in the Chuck Hayes case so they, they try to do an appeal to impeach that witness, and it doesn't work. They still convict him. Um, they still say that he wasn't a CIA agent. He ends up going to jail. I can't find that Chuck Hayes is dead. He's 86 years old, and I think he's in a in a uh, old folks' home here in Plastic. Mm-hmm. Really? I find the guy, right? All right, so here's the – you know, to me it's fucked up enough that that we find Hayes here in Pulaski County tied to the Castellero shit, right? Tied to the promise software. But online, the main guy that is maintaining all of this information 
and all these websites about Chuck Hayes is a guy named Jay Orland Grobby, right? And I thought, well, this guy must live here in the area because he has all these websites. He's maintained all these things about uh, Chuck Hayes' innocence. Turns out that he is one of the most famous U.S. financial uh, instrument engineers ever. He created the U.S. derivatives futures market in the 80s, right? Like he is the guy that created all of these uh, formulas for, to do all this derivative trading. And his best friend was Chuck Hayes. And he came to Pulaski County all the time and hung out with him. And I think he is a member of the fifth column because he was a huge supporter of chaos theory in financial markets. And when you dig into this guy, you find out that in 1985, he is, is the originator of the concept of cryptocurrency of digital currencies, right? Now, Satoshi published the white paper about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain, right? But in 1985, Graby published a paper about digital currencies, and he didn't use the phrase uh, blockchain, but basically a peer-to-peer -peer system that would allow people to exchange money digitally through cryptography, right? Through, through this randomness. And that by doing this, they would be able to destabilize the financial markets that were so, it's this whole thing that Chuck Hayes was doing, right? You, you find these guys talking about this stuff. You know, he's quoted here in Pulaski County referring to how Rogers is helicopter guy because everywhere he went to, he flew around a helicopter. You know, like he's here in Pulaski County He's working with Chuck Hayes. He's planning all this shit out. And immediately when I read that he was the originator of the concept of digital cash and digital currencies, I thought, could he be Satoshi, right? And so when I started looking into that, there are other people that believe the same thing. And they took Satoshi's white paper and Orland, Jay Orland Gravy's white paper and did a semantic textual analysis and found that it is exact. It is the same author, right? And the theory is that he and Chuck Hayes came up with fucking Bitcoin and blockchain. And then in 2008, when uh, Orland Gravy died, that it was a dead man switch. And that's what caused the blockchain to go into effect. And that's why no one has ever touched Satoshi's wallet. No one's ever withdrawn any money because it was a fucking dead guy that died four years before it ever went into effect. And so Bitcoin and blockchain, blockchain were developed with Chuck Hayes in the fifth column here in fucking Pulaski County, man. <laughs> what is going on I in told Pulaski you it was County, crazy, Kentucky, man? man. Holy shit. Well, and Charles Hayes could have, these guys could have just used these skills to make money. Like I'm sure a lot of other ex CIA agents did. Oh but, yeah, sure. But obviously they did have some ideological pretensions, you know, and they believed in the cause and they seem like kind of like the real life versions of like 
characters and Illuminatus or something. These guys are like libertarian Discordians just trying to, you know, upset the whole order. Well, you know, Jay Orland Gravy actually has an article about Discordianism. He talks about embracing Eris and, and this whole thing with chaos. And, the, and that was his big obsession was chaos in the financial markets and, and this idea of randomness. You know, and then that's so weird that we find that and find the connections to, to Chuck Hayes and that they were working together so tightly. Um, and then all of our stuff with, you know, cybernetics and randomness and, and, and the things that, that Pennyroyal has, has been based on. I, here's a really fucking crazy thing. You know, after, after we put out the show, we received some strange documents. I won't say from who, but we've talked about this before. But, you know, we received some weird documents that involve, um, you know, uh, gold certificates, the transfer of gold from the Philippines to the United States to Switzerland. Um, someone randomly came to Pulaski County and overheard Darian and I talking about this data mining software that we had developed to data mine the Guterma stuff to try to figure out, you know, if there were any patterns. They heard us talking about the Philippines because of Guterma coming from the Philippines. And this particular individual gave us these documents um, on a clean USB drive and, and basically said, see what you can find out. And I thought there was nothing to it. But then when we looked at the fucking documents, I was like, holy fucking shit. I thought we we're going to get raided by the feds because it is there in these documents. There are reproductions of federal treasury certificates and there's just hundreds of bank accounts, all of the swift numbers, all of the transfers, all these emails. Um, and they involve some individuals that were CIA agents that were connected to Willis Carto in Escondido. California, right? And and when we got the documents too, a lot of the shit in there was stuff that we were researching. Even Steven Snyder is mentioned in the documents. The article that caused me to contact Steven is referenced in the article and Steven is referenced. And the documents were sealed in 2017, right? And it was like, there's shit in there about the sovereign order of St. John, which we were researching. There's shit in there about Cleve Baxter and the Cosmos Club and talking to plants. There's a fucking memo about uh, Mitch McConnell. And so these documents were found in California. And yet one of the main things is about a Kentucky senator, right? And the whole gold certificate thing was strange because here we are researching Downard and all the gold certificates that are mentioned in, you know, Carnivals of Life and Death. And in an early draft of Carnivals of Life and Death that they took out this section about gold certificates from the Philippines, right? And then what we're really talking about is Yamashita's gold, you know, the World War II gold. So, you know, we get these documents and I'm like, what the fuck is this? What does this mean? And, and, and a lot of the second season deals with us trying to understand what this is. But it dawned on us recently after we found all the Chuck Hayes stuff and the promise stuff. And this is going to sound completely fucking paranoid. All right. And 
I just read, reread Ken Thomas's article about paranoia. I think it's Jen, is it Ken Thomas that writes that in the, um, the suppressed ideas book, you know what I'm talking about? Secrets and suppressed. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, no, it's not him. It's Carrie Thornley. It's Carrie Thornley's uh, essay about paranoia as a form of heightened awareness. Right. And in context with the JFK assassination, but I was just reading it and I was like, you know, it's like, this, this sounds totally crazy. And why, why would they even do this? But is it possible? And Darian, you know, that, that, that works on all this stuff with me, he was like, what if they thought someone thought that we already knew about Chuck Hayes, right? That, you know, we're researching all these people in the County that somehow we had already found Chuck Hayes and that we kept talking about this data mining software that we were using to analyze all these documents, right? And see, they don't know how many copies of the promise software Chuck Hayes made. And they don't know that we didn't find Chuck Hayes in an old folks home and they gave us the software and that the software we were using to data mine all these documents was the promise software. So someone gives us these documents that have hundreds and maybe you know, thousands of, of financial accounts and says, why don't you take a look at it and see what patterns you can find uh-huh. to see if the software that we were using was the promise software, right? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's weird right? like, like on top of all the other shit that's been fucking happening to have this stuff surface especially the fucking Chuck Hayes stuff right you know it's like what is this you know like what the fuck is going on I don't know uh, it's amazing I, yeah there's uh, you got definitely some some st- some shit there. I mean, I, I don't know honestly what to think. <laughs> Be true, you know. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned. So you mentioned this other guy, David Southwell. Oh yeah, the, the last thing well. I, yeah, the, the, I want to say like that David Southwell. Um, you know, he's he is a British uh, author, a very well known British author. And he does all of this. He writes about uh, Hookland, and, and people should check it out on Twitter. Um, he's got a website and stuff, but um, it's an area that he focuses on. But he has written all this stuff. And I, and I talked to him. Um, uh, there's a podcast called Rejected Religion that analyzed a bunch of, of this high strange and stuff and connected these things. and that they were going to have uh, Marco Visconti, who's a ceremonial magician in England on, and then uh, David Southwell and me to talk about this, this idea of, of place and, and the way that it affects people. But we were prepping for the interview and I got to talk to David and, and he mentioned all of these really fantastic concepts that I hadn't even thought about, you know, the, the way that Scooby-Doo is all about the concept of the spirit of place. Right. And he went into this whole analysis that I thought was fantastic. But when you really look at David Southwell's work, 
he talks a lot about the encroachment of fascism and these right-wing people that are, are stealing ideas from the Fordian community, right, and, and from magicians and things, and using it to spread their ideas, right? And, and there's definitely a correlation with that, with the downer material. But he, his big banner, his big thing is, you know, and, and it's, it, this is what was so strange in talking to him, you know, at the end of Pennyroyal, I was really trying to stress the idea of re-enchantment in America, right? And that, that people should find, you know, they should re-enchant their lives, you know, and, and find magic in the places that they lived, right? But David Southwell's big thing is re-enchantment is resistance. And so that that there are the, it's the whole Peter Lavenda shit, right? That there is this egregore of fascism, that there is this encroaching force in human civilization that that is this thing that is that the forces of extreme order and, and fascism and and that we need to rediscover re-enchantment and magic in our lives and and not literally magic necessarily but just just the the magical nature of of the world you know and and that's a form of resistance against all of this uh all the fucking crazy shit that's happening right now. And I, and I think that's a good message. You know, it's, it's something that I, that I really want to stress in the second season of Pena Royal, you know, and, and to really champion what David Southwell is saying is that, you know, re-enchantment really is resistance, especially now, you know, especially with all the fucking Trump shit, you know, and all this yeah. stuff that just happened, you know? So I, I don't know, man, but I, I think it's important you know, there's so much strange shit. There's so much stuff that we cannot explain. I don't know. Like how could all of these things be happening in fucking Somerset, Kentucky, right? Like why, <laughs> like why are all of these people clustering here? Why do we keep finding it? Why do strange things keep happening to us? And it's like, it, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, it has something to do with the magical nature of reality in a weird way, you know, and I don't know. Another subject you guys are exploring in the second Penny Royal is going to be uh, the occult history of the U.S. transportation system. Can you explain that to people? What, is, what does that mean? That's, a, that's quite the phrase there. Man, you know what? <laughs> Honestly, what started me on that was um, – the second season of True Detective was supposed to be about. They interviewed uh, uh, what's his name, Pizzolatto, the guy that created the the show, the writer of the show. Um, they asked him. They asked him um, what the second season was going to be about. And he said it's going to be about the secret occult history of the American transportation system. And then when it came out, it wasn't. <laughs> right, you know, and and I thought. And this was an early interview. And when I read it, I, I was like, oh, this is this sounds amazing. And then it wasn't about that. So then I started researching that because I thought if he was basing the second season on that, he must have found something, right? He must have found a lot of, of content. And so I started digging into it. And that's when I found all of this stuff about, you know, especially Route 66, you know, the mother road, but 
the way that the roads were built in America and the influence of Freemasons, especially because a lot of Freemasons were part of the uh, road commissions that decided where the, the highway systems went. And what they were really doing were linking cities and lodges together. And when I really dug into it, there was so much strange occult shit that involved the way the roads were laid out. Um, and, and then, and then it, it, it sort of got into this idea of um, roads as paths to initiation, right? To, to magical initiations. Um, and, and another big motif is the fact that here, you know, the, the second season opens with this crazy story that uh, Hal Rogers, the big, the big uh, senator here in uh, uh, Kentucky senator in, in Pulaski County, who's done tons of projects, he convinced everyone that this road in Pulaski County, I-66, was actually part of Route 66, but it wasn't, right? And he ended up getting $22 million because everybody thought this connected to this, like, you know, the, the whole mythology of Route 66, but it was a lot. And they only ended up constructing five miles of this road. And it's a road to nowhere. It's just a fucking dead end road, right? And I thought, what a fantastic motif for this whole trajectory of the second season into what the fuck is happening to us? Why are these, we discovering these things? You know, the, this concept of the path, you know, paths of initiation of roads, roads to nowhere, and, and this idea of uh, randomness, you know. So, no, I mean, uh, there's so much weird shit that I found about the history of roads, especially fucking asphalt, right? You know, Downard's father, you know, if you, you know, people that are familiar with the deep dive into James Shelby Downard, his father was a major asphalt magnet. You know, in the Midwest, laid most of the roads in the heartland of America, you know. And there's this strange alchemical nature to the concept of asphalt. And then you find out that, uh, um, what's his name? Um, uh, strange Angel. Um, Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons. He solved the liquid fuel rocket problem by guess what? adding road asphalt to the mixture, right? So adding road asphalt to this rocket mixture allowed us to create roads into space, you know? Um, and so it's just that you know, more and more of those things. And also that the rockets are uh, the, the base of a rocket, the most optimal efficient design is a pentagram is what really causes the thrust that, that blasts off. So just so many weird things like that, that um, oh, wait till you see how it all connects together. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Like it is crazy. The more that I dove into that idea of the secret occult history of the American transportation system, the more that I found these weird connections, you know? And it seems like Somerset is kind of like a, well, it's always been a, it was a railroad hub first. And then like you were talking about earlier, it's also um, a part of this highway system that's like a major artery of all kinds of aspects of the underworld also. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, Highway 27 goes through here. I, you know, I-75, all these roads that connect Miami to Chicago, you've got to go through Somerset, right? Um, and then there's east-west roads, but the railroad is a big, you know, that, that is the thing, you know, it's this idea of is that why all of these people ended up here? Is it because Somerset and Kentucky is a crossroads, you know? And then you get into the whole occult you know, significance of crossroads and then Pan, Hermes, and, and these ideas of, of, of what lies at the crossroads. And St. Peter, you know? And um, God, dude, there's so much weird, <laughs> so well, much weird stuff here. You know, I think that in the next season of... Uh of Penny Royal that uh, people might hear a familiar voice. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. do we want to talk a little bit about what uh, that familiar voice might be talking about? Um, well, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, just uh, some of my dives into Downard and his associates and, and some things that I suspected that I feel like have been confirmed by other sources now. A lot revolving around um, Jim Brandon, otherwise known as Bill Grimstead, and Rebirth of Pan. Um, sources of some of that Pan mythos of there being this pre-Columbian Pan cults and kind of these uh, pre-Columbian European explorer ideas and what that has to do with these archaeological hoaxes and a bunch of different stuff. But, um, yeah, I think I'll, I think we'll save most of that for, for Penny world. I'll probably write something around the time that comes out. I really feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of my suspicions have really been confirmed. Um, um, and then also I think that, uh, Downard was very inspired by Jim Garrison. And I think we touched on that on the previous Patreon um, but uh, I think in Garrison you find a kind of uh, proto synchro mysticism, propinquity, yeah, time and propinquity, yeah. And then and then I then you have some people in Downard's orbit, um, you know, who were also in Garrison's orbit. So I think Downard might have either spent some time around those folks in New Orleans or been really inspired by Jim Garrison. Who knows how that all that went went down. Dude, you blew my mind with the whole when you guys did the propinquity stuff. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that has to be where Downer got some of this, right? It predates it, but there there is a, there is a weird connection between if we can figure out where Downer was between nineteen, basically nineteen fifty and nineteen seventy four, right? That. Where was he during the JFK assassination? His and Parton definitely was, you know, th- this whole Alan Whitworth thing. You know, just Google Alan Whitworth and JFK, and it's this fucking crazy rabbit hole, right? And and you know, I was I was saying to Darian that can you imagine being downer? Say you are a paranoid schizophrenic, right? And your ex-wife leaves you, goes to California. You think that she's already connected to um, the baby farms in Tennessee with Georgia Tan, right? The ones in Memphis, yeah. Which, which it turns out, there were some partners named 
I found this, right? So it is possible that she was one of the family members, part of the family members that was involved in the Georgia Tan stuff. So he already suspects her of being involved in this like baby farm of the upper class, still babies from the lower class, you know, which is crazy. And then he, she leaves him, they divorce. She leaves St. Petersburg, goes to California, and then he drives across America on the 33rd par- parallel, right? Stalking his ex-wife and finds her married to Alan Whitwer. And then when the fucking JFK assassination happens, he realizes that all of these people he suspects they're involved in the assassination are all associated with his ex-wife, right? Who caused the great horror. I mean, for someone who's already fucking crazy and paranoid, it must have, it's like Carrie Thornley finding out all that shit that he was connected to. It would drive you fucking nuts, right? You would just go over the edge and think, what the fuck is, is reality? How could all of this that I thought was already connected actually end up this way? You know, um, the whole Carrie Thornley connections to the JFK thing. It's ridiculous that, that Thornley was sending out all those letters pranking everybody. And then it turns out he actually is connected to all these people and then witnessed the guy talking about murdering JFK and, and pinning it on a jailbird, right? But the FBI wouldn't believe him because they're like, you sent out all this bullshit telling everybody that about the Illuminati. This is just another one of your pranks. Not to mention that he knew Oswald. They were in the Marines together. Yeah, yeah. He writes uh, Idol Warriors, right? You know, and, and it's like there's so many weird connections between Carrie Thornley and JFK that you find when you dig into Downard, there are all of these connections between Downard and the JFK assassination. He writes fucking King Kill 33, you know? So... And, and we're all the ones that are seeing these connections. No one's published this shit, right? And, and definitely Grimstead and Hoffman are not talking about these connections, you know? And then you got to wonder, why didn't they talk about these connections? If you're going to talk about synchro mysticism, the biggest fucking synchronicity is that the great whore was working in the fucking pagan room at the Del Charo Hotel where the conspirators of the JFK assassination were fucking meeting. Right. That Alan Whitmer writes about. So why has Hoffman or Downard or Freeland or anyone ever mentioned that? Because if I was championing synchro mysticism, right there's the biggest fucking synchronicity in the room. And no one's even fucking mentioning that, you know, like it's weird. Why? Why not? Why not talk about that? Well, by be incriminating. It was all the great whore and her like mystic butt plug or whatever it was. That- uh, all that shit's so strange, man. Surfiel, man, the the shit we talked about is so good. Like uh, the shit too that we were talking about in terms of fascism and the extreme right in California and all. You know what I mean? Like it is. I mean, dude, I swear to God, this is the, the stuff that we're all researching right now. It really is. You know, I'm not trying to like toot our own horns, but this is the like right now. This is the forefront of 
what I think of as Fordian research and, 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 and this type of research, conspiracy, parapolitical, whatever you want to call it, you know, but like the stuff that Adam's finding, you know, the stuff that we're finding, the stuff that we're all collaborating on, um, it's so fascinating because it's, it's like this obscure blip in history that no, like, why does it even matter? I always say that to my wife. I'm like, you know, I spent all this time researching down or we don't even know, you know, what the real significance is, but it's like, there is something here that is worth, there's a story here that we need to tell because it definitely relates to the consciousness of America and to the way that things have played out and the way that, that the world has seen that, that you can't let these, these crazy fucks co you know what I'm saying? Like you can't let them have that narrative. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what it was. It's the ultimate hijack that all this stuff comes from the JFK assassination. Uh, who knows what kind of, changes JFK would have made to the security establishment and American capitalism. Um, but, you know, it becomes like the, the countercultural, right. They're able to really capitalize on all this stuff. And the, the more that the left or whatever is left of it or progressive forces or whatever, just, you know, they increasingly are viewed as the establishment and the countercultural right still is like, absolutely on fire and just full of energy cynicism and able to manipulate with meme magic and you know it's like yeah no i mean it's it's true i mean like well i think i think the biggest thing is acknowledging that it's happening you know what i mean like i think that's the definitely the second season of pity Royal. I'm trying to highlight the fact that this is a real thing, right? You know, that, 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 that no matter how crazy you think the shit we're talking about is, that there are people in power that believe those things and it's absolutely affecting your life, whether you believe it or not, right? And the more that you understand that these things are happening, the more that you're equipped with dealing with the society and the world that you live in today. Right. And, and I, and I don't think people should, you know, put their, put their heads in the sand. God, that's fascinating too, man. I mean, that it really is just amazing to, to look at all this stuff and people just aren't, you know, ah, one other thing too, that I, I wanted to mention that I found uh, while researching was you know, Danny Casalero mentions Pine Gap in his notes, right? And uh, people may be familiar with Pine Gap uh, because of the Netflix. It's an Australian series on Netflix now. And so they show that this, you know, Pine Gap is uh, the U.S. government contracted or created a treaty uh, with Australia, I think in the 70s. Um, to build this basically a, a data storage, data listening, like all phone calls, all satellite shit, all goes through Pine Gap, right? And it's literally in the geographic center of Australia. And um, 
it's just crazy that that's a major CIA, major NSA base. It's, it's a U.S. base, and it's in Australia. So in the, I think it was, I forget the fuck, what year was it? It was like 1980, maybe it was 1985. I think it was 85. That there was a prime minister who was set to, to, to go into power in Australia, and his name was Whitcomb. And he actually was like pro-Australia, fuck America, fuck Pine Gap. We're going to run the CIA out of Australia. And as soon as he said that, (laughs) the U.S. government basically went into um, action mode and, and created a coup in Australia that had him overthrown. And it's a, if anybody that wants to you know, look up the whole Whitcomb thing, um, just type in Whitcomb CIA Australia and you'll find this crazy story. Well, the guy that, the CIA agent that brokered the Pine Gap Treaty was a guy named Marchetti. And he ends up being connected to the guy in the documents that we received. Okay, the guy that is that is the uh, that created all the stuff that moved all the gold that you know that they gave us. His name is Henry Fisher, and he was a, a CIA agent tied to Marchetti. And then Marchetti leaves uh, Australia, ends up in America, and guess where he starts publishing fucking articles in Willis Cardo's. Liberty Lobby Spotlight Magazine, and he becomes a writer for for the Liberty Lobby. So, I mean, like, how fucking strange is that? You know, like the guy that that helped America found its number one spook listening post in the world ends up working with Nazis, (laughs) you know, like in America. And publishing all of this crazy right-wing shit. And, you know, obviously the Liberty Lobby lobby paid for a lot of Hoffman's publications and Grimstead stuff. And, and, And there's an argument to be made that the Liberty Lobby possibly helped Adam Parfrey publish some of his stuff, you know? And I don't know, man, there's, there are these, you know, you've got Danny Casalero's octopus, but there's another fucking octopus that exists with these weird tendrils um, that are not part of the government, but they're this like alt right. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> it's, it's just so yeah. strange. Right. I don't know. Did you see when you watched the uh, Strange Realities Conference last year? Did you watch Dr. Future's presentation about Pew? I did not. Yeah, well, it's it's still there. I mean, you could go back and watch it, but I mean, he talked about uh, Pew. I mean, the Pew Research Trust. Uh, this is who this is named after. He was a one of the big money guys behind Carto. He funded really. Yeah. Yep. See, uh, there's an uh, the the C. Fisher, who was definitely a CIA agent, who was living in Australia. Um, he comes to America. Um, they actually scan Thomas Edison's grandniece 
out of $2 million. This is a whole thing that, that Steven Snyder told us about. And it's totally true. Um, but Cardo and so Fisher worked for Cardo. So a lot of people believe because of Fisher's connections to the CIA, that Fisher and Cardo were CIA agents and that they were playing the alt-right because everything they did ended up in this like crazy controversy, right? Ended up in like in the news, ended up just being huge lawsuits, uh, you know, all this fucked up stuff. And it's like, is it because the government was running, you know, basically a counterintelligence operation within the alt-right and Cardo and Fisher were working for them? Or were they just literally these extreme individuals that were fucking, I don't know, doing, doing really, really crazy shit? It wouldn't surprise me that they may have been using it uh, just for their own ends. You know, just a very kind of like cynical, selfish approach. You know, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, and then you throw Hoffman in the mix. You know, Michael Hoffman, when he was working for the Liberty Lobby, you know, and, and then Grimstead too. And then you got these guys working on David Duke's fucking election campaign, you know, that, that David Duke's, you know, trying to become president. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to you meeting Dr. Michael Bennett, Dr. Future. Okay. Um, yeah, he's a, a fellow Kentuckian. He's from Louisville. So, but I mean, his research on the Georgia Guidestones, you need to check out. So one of the things that I am like eternally angry about is the fact that I have a very good friend that figured out the entire mystery of the Georgia Guidestones. What? And yeah, he cracked uh, it. Sure. He cracked it. He cracked the whole thing and nobody cares. But the thing is, is that the guy that the actual RC Christian, he found out who he is. And this guy, it's no one that you would know. He was just a doctor, a physician in um, Iowa somewhere. But he was a supporter. He gave money to David Duke. No way. So the Georgia Guidestones that is generally touted as the, you know, the Illuminati wanting to destroy mankind was actually built by good old right-wing American fascists. It all comes back to fucking right-wing American fascists. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to it, who, So who is the guy that did this research? Dr. Future. Dr. Future. Uh, yeah. That's too. Yes. Dr. Future yeah. figured this out. It's on Amazon still, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still there. Look at Look for a film called Dark Clouds Over Elberton. And it's about uh, the building of the Georgia Guidestones and who R.C. Christian really was. No shit. Mike, Mike figured the whole thing out. And, and nobody, nobody seems, seems to give, to a, give a, shit. a shit. He went like embedded reporter for real. Yeah. Dark Clouds Over Elberton. Oh, fuck, man. Now I know what I'm going to watch after. Now I'm going to be up. All- Adam's got <laughs> it on DVD. Yeah, I do have it on DVD. Yeah. I'm so excited to come down to the conference, man. <laughs> I swear I'm just gonna like have a recorder and just like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There, you can actually go back in the Conspiranormal archives. We did a whole episode about it. Um Mike doesn't talk about it. Time. He doesn't talk about it very much, but I mean he did it. 
I mean, he figured out who it was. And no one cares because it's not who they. It's not sexy enough. Yeah, it's not sexy enough. It's really just some dudes. And also, it's not. It doesn't serve Alex Jones very well for it to be someone that's on his political side of the spectrum. Is it, what's it? Uh, um, uh, Jesse Ventura did his, uh, you know, conspiracy theory TV show about the Georgia. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, they want to milk that cow for a long time. They don't need that solved. Yep. That's crazy, man. That's so fascinating. Yeah, this was a guy that, I mean, he was super into just eugenics. I mean, he came from that tradition. See, Iowa was in the 1920s was one of the uh, foremost states in the practice of eugenics. And he just came the really the, the guidestones were built as they were there in this like, you know, isolated pocket of Elberton, Georgia, which was not originally where it was supposed to have been built. But because of the granite industry there, they built it there. So it was, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, the cold war was heating up. So there was all this tension and they thought that, you know, well, if there's a nuclear war, this will be there to re-jumpstart society. So that was the commandment, you know, keep it under 500 million. You don't want to overpopulate in this whole idea of, but yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing. Dude, that's so crazy. You, you know, um, there is a, the, the reason that I contacted um, Recluse, you know, Steven Snyder, is that I was researching, you know, all of this right-wing fascism in Kentucky. And he had written that article about um, the John Birch Society, which, God, man, the John Birch, you know, the Birchers are just all over this shit. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy how intertwined they are um but there is a guy that that a really really super wealthy family in lexington kentucky you know the the, you know we're all the you know horses and bourbon and it was the uh wycliffe family and they the patriarch of the family that had made all this money was traveling to fucking Germany in the late twenties and early thirties and was a huge supporter of eugenics and was bringing back those principles to Kentucky, to Lexington and implementing them. And he ended up giving a huge amount of money to Hitler. Right? So the family has tried to disavow this and say, no, 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 this is not connected to the family. But then it turns out the family has continued that eugenic support. And there was this South Korean scientist that had the boat in the ocean where he did the cloning experiments. That was paid for by the Wycliffe family. You know, and there's this crazy connection between the first human cloning experiments in you know in international waters and Lexington, Kentucky, the Wycliffe family and the support of the Nazi eugenics program, and it's and so that's what Stephen was researching, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And that shit is in those fucking documents that's that you know 
someone gave us. The uh, the eugenics programs of the United States influenced Nazi Germany. See, I didn't know that about the Iowa stuff. Is that, is that where it was? Iowa? That you said? Yeah, Iowa was one of the states that instituted uh, eugenics-type laws back in the 19-teens, 1920s. Yeah. So, so you think so? So you you've looked at research that Nazi Germany was really basing its research on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the eugenics movement uh, predates. Uh, you know, it starts off probably around about the eighteen nineties. So uh, it's it's there was a lot of um, influence on the on uh, Nazi racial theory from the eugenics movement in the in the United States. Is it time to break away civilizations at all? I mean, that's right. <laughs> period, you know, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's yeah. what this all kind of, everything we're talking about kind of coalesces around this idea, even if it's not as extreme as, um, you know, the really speculative stuff. In a way, there still is this, seems like there's a continuity and a, like a breakaway civilization of all these different interests um, that really were able to come above ground in the Third Reich, but before that were seemed to be below ground in a lot of places, and after the Third Reich have just kind of been back in the shadows, and but still having tremendous influences. It's exactly it, though. You know, there's so much of what we've been researching that ties into this this idea of and whether you want to get metaphysical with it or magical or you know Kenneth Grant, but um, this idea of the subterranean, right? That there really is this underworld motif, you know, the tunnels of set, right? Which I still think is so funny in a weird, ironic way of you know, the tunnels underneath Somerset, right? And then now they, they even use the phrase, the tourism department, it's hashtag see my set, right? And, and I think that's so funny because they don't see any occult connotation to that. But everything we've been researching, think about how much it ties in to this idea of set and the tunnels of set and, and the subterranean and, and, and that as an element of the subconscious here in this area that people don't even realize they're being affected by those, those concepts and the motifs, you know, um, it's, 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 it's true. I mean, this is crazy. God, I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> what, what, you know, for me, it's like, what does any of this mean? Darren and I were just talking about it. I'm like, I don't even know. We keep finding all this stuff and all of these strange references. The Chuck Hayes stuff is, for me, most recently, the most mind-blowing thing. Because I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? You find, you know, finding determined is like a gold mine. And I was like, holy shit. How could we ever have this story fall in our fucking laps, right? And then we find the charles hayes stuff so now i'm wondering what exists here that we don't even fucking know about right like what are we going to find that 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 we're just like 
Jesus Christ. I mean, Darian at this point thinks that Somerset is a retirement ground for CIA. It very well could be. And there could be several part, several of those across the country. That's you know, cause it's like, how can Guterma and, and Hayes be here? But it's like, what if there are more? What if we find out there are more people here? And it's like, yeah, no, God, dude, I swear. All right. Well, where can people find you, Nathan? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely check out, um, uh, you know, Peter Roll is on um, all of the platforms. So but, yeah, I think it looks great on Spotify, but Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everything, you know, um, check us out. We've also got PeterRollPodcast.com, uh, you know, which, which is our main website. The episodes are on there as well. Um, and then we have the Liminal Lodge. If you guys go on Patreon, look up Penny Royal or Liminal Lodge. Um, you're going to find our Patreon group. It's, it's a community that we've put together that's really digging into this research. You know, absolutely have helped us find new leads. The Chuck Hayes stuff would have never been possible if we hadn't had the Liminal Lodge. You know, and then finding the article with. Uh, from Grimstead that he sent to um, Robert and to Wilson, you know, I mean, those kinds of things without this group of people helping us research this, we would have never found these, these things. And so in real time together, this story is playing out. If you'd like to be a part of it, like to help us with the research, um, definitely consider joining uh, the lodge, but uh, yeah. And then, I was planning on releasing the second season in September, but there's been so, <laughs> we've found so much new shit in the last like month and a half that it's probably going to end up being like end of the year um, that I release it. I just want to, I want to put all of this in there. I know it's, it's such a crazy story, but um, it's, it's so fascinating. And I think it's so beautiful the way that, that it is, that it, it, it has to make you question what the fuck is happening in your own life, you know? And that's what I hope it does. And so, you know, I, I want to make sure that everything's in there and I don't want to rush it. So anyway, it'll probably be a little bit, a little bit later in the year, but, um, but definitely this year. So anyway, yeah. And thank you guys, man. Thank you for having me back on the show. And, and again, thanks for having me at, at the strange realities. Yeah. What are you going to uh, present on there? I'd like, so the, the, it's either going to be the Chuck Hayes stuff, you know, and, and the relationship to Bitcoin and kind of take everybody through that. The other thing, my original thing that I kind of would like to talk about, um, passion project wise is this idea of, um, the Dayton witch, you know, Downard's the Dayton witch that he found in the tomb and ritual machines, right? Ritual devices uh, like uh, the Zarya Lolian cir- circles, like these these devices that occult groups and researchers through the centuries have built that allow people to decode or de-encrypt reality. Um, and so it's sort of a genealogy of of those types of devices. Um, so yeah, it'll be one of those two things. Well, we really look forward to that. And, uh, if you want to meet Nathan in person, if everything is going well, uh, then, uh, come on down to Nashville and come to strange realities. 
Yeah, that's October 15th through the 17th in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the option is come down here, hang out with us. That's $70 or online only for $30, which uh, you won't get the full experience, but you will be able to see the see the presentations. So come hang out with us then. And then also, guys, we'll go ahead and end up, end up the show. Uh, Surfiel can tell you where you can find our Patreon. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash conspiranormal and join one of our many esoteric orders uh, for $5 a month. You get a weekly show. $10, you get to hang out with the Mystic Crew, which uh, Nathan has been a part of before. Hopefully we're going to do a presentation in that soon as well. And for $20, you get an exclusive garment and uh, extra special secret experience at the strange realities conference yes absolutely all right guys that's it i want to thank nathan for hanging out with us and uh again strange realities conference october 15th through the 17th come join us and party with conspiranormal sick of being upsold at gyms my guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.